0: How much of that drove your decision to get into producing and to be more in the driver's seat, perhaps, of this creation?
1: I think a lot, and I, I think it 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 was again quite natural for me because I started to pr- produce things that I wasn't a producer on just by nature. Because, um, I and again, it probably goes back to my 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 parents in many ways, but like I don't know how to let something just not be good if i see like if i see something yes. happening I, I can't just go well that's not my problem you know mm-hmm. what i mean like i'm like oh, which well, is really you know?
0: hard by the way yeah
1: i mean i i i'm the person who will be like you know if 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 you just move that a little bit it might, <laughs> and, and you know <laughs> if you move that to the left you might have you know and they'll go oh yeah great then you know and so then i started to and it's not like you know everything i say is great but i i started to um feel comfortable enough to you know sort of have more of a voice in certain areas or you know and and to sort of feel like my opinion on things outside of just my role was had some validity or I could share it and see sort of how what people thought because i think when you're an actor like you you feel limited this is your lane you don't get out of your lane a lot of actors love that because they're like i don't want to be out of my lane like this is a good one i don't want to i don't want to veer off left or right and i'm like no but i want to see like the whole landscape you know like that's super exciting to me to see the horizon like my lane's cool but like i want to see the whole thing and um that was really kind of the genesis of like wanting to be a part of the entire process rather than just limited to one piece of it um so it's kind of that collision of things and then it was my well my husband's he's so incredible he's so um he's really like my biggest like champion mm, that's and wonderful and he's so brilliant and he's he's like 12 years older than me so he's he's such a veteran and like filmmaking and how the whole process works and when I, would, I was on a couple of sets and i was sort of telling him i was getting excited about sort of ideas that i had that people liked and he said you know you're producing this and i said oh no no no, I'm i'm not producing it i'm just helping and he's like no that's you're, you're 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 really helping to produce this and i and he said you know you should start producing things and and well he and he's really been the one to say you need to direct something and at first i was like ah, you know he's like so scared of it and he's like every day he's like when are you going to direct something you know and so that's definitely like the next thing on the horizon for sure um but the producing i love so much because it's this the things that we've talked about like the sort of solution oriented like um I love putting teams together. I love really like figuring out um, sort of where people will be good in certain areas and how they would thrive and how they'd work well with other people. And like, I love seeing that sort of grow and become more successful and like people feeling great about their part in it. Um, But the, the directing thing is definitely something on my mind, and hopefully the next time I'm here, I'll I'll have dipped my toe into that. Yes,
0: I would <laughs> love to talk to you about that. And I also think, as you're talking, I'm thinking everyone listening would love a boss
1: like you. Oh, so that's I mean, so
0: nice. No, but it's it's exactly the kind of things you're saying. I think a lot of us wish that people mm. that are in leadership roles would be saying things like that. With you and your husband co-producing Nona together, extraordinarily powerful film about human trafficking. Two real questions on that. One, working with your husband, what that's what's that like? And two, what would draw you to the topic? I mean, it's incredibly powerful, but it's also a really, really tough
1: subject. Definitely. Um, well, he and I are... I mean I, I wish he were here in some ways because you could really see like we're, we're sort of – we're a real match for each other. And so um, he's he's incredibly fearless and deeply creative and um, he's, a, he's, an, he's a brilliant leader as well. Um, he and I met on a film set. He was directing a movie called Big Sur and he hired me as an actress and we just artistically were like a match made in heaven. Like he would – um, he would give me a little piece of direction and I would just know exactly what he'd want mm. and I could just sort of pivot with whatever he wanted and um, you know we, we sort of we didn't know each other well enough at the time to say this, but you know he um, he he tells me now that like the first thing he said to me the first piece of direction he gave to me he he thought to himself, oh, I've found my actress like i found I found the one that I want to do this with over and over and over again and I felt the same way I remember thinking he's so good. Like, I really can't mess this up. I want to work (laughs) with him again. And, um, and then, and we just, we just were a great match that way. And we weren't together until months after, after the movie wrapped. Um, we were very professional, but the moment we were together, it was just like, like it's sometimes people ask, what's your engagement story? I'm like, oh, we didn't have one. We just looked at each other and we were like, oh, you're my person. Like, that's it. Mm -hmm. Like it was a, it was a completely mutual, like, Oh, good. Like, again, no plan B. Like, all in immediately. And we were both like that. And so partly um, we began our foundation professionally with an enormous amount of respect for one another and also understanding very clear kind of boundaries with what one person does and what the other person did initially as, like, an actor and a director. And we worked like that on – Um, three or four movies where it was just, you know, we just love working together. Um, And then it was around the time where he started to say, you know, you're producing. And I said, well, you know, I'd actually really love to produce now that you say that. And so one day he came home from work and he said, you know, I heard this story on the radio that's about – that was about a, a sex house that was busted not so far from where we lived in L.A., and he said and they say there's 44 known sex houses in the LA area and so obviously there's like a ton that are unknown. He said and I just felt so sort of um shocked and and you know startled by this because uh I don't you know we knew what human trafficking was and what sex trafficking trafficking was but we didn't know a whole lot about it. And then when we started to do more research and realize like what an enormous sort of tragedy it is globally but um certainly in America You know, he looked at me and we were sitting around our kitchen table and he said, you know, I feel like there's an important narrative story to be told here, you know. And he said, and I don't think – he said what I'd like to do is approach it with just one girl, you know, Mm -hmm. so that you really keep the humanity intact. Yeah, You meet her first. You don't meet her circumstances in terms of like – where she ends up, you meet her where she's at and you start understanding the why. Why would someone be lured into such a, you know, high risk situation? Well, because where where she's from, which we meet known in Honduras and San Pedro Sula is known as the murder capital of the world. You know, she lives in extreme poverty. She doesn't have any family. Um, she has dreams and aspirations, and if you know if she, if she could get anywhere but here, maybe she could make it and i mean i relate I relate to wanting to do something and i 'm sure you do you know it 's it 's a human thing to say i I want something more in my life, and like what can I do to have it and She ends up meeting this cute boy who says, Hey, I can bring you to America, I have an aunt that lives in America you know you you know you 've got something special you shouldn 't be here, you should be in America. And so she decides to take the risk and travel with him from Honduras, through Guatemala, all through Mexico, and into America. And it was upon that um, that uh, passing from Tijuana into America that she starts to realize that something's not right. And the audience kind of realizes that something's not right. And it's it's the moment that she's sold into, into sex trafficking. And the approach really – Michael thought the approach – that I think will work here is, is for you to see the innocence of this person and the circumstances of this person and feel the sort of elation of perhaps having Mm -hmm. the opportunity to have something more. So close. Be so close. That's right. And then just having it like ripped from you, which is, which is the, the, the situation for the reality for so many people sold into human trafficking and sex trafficking. Um, you know, the traffickers prey on the most vulnerable of society. I mean, it's people who are destitute, who are already living in abusive situations, who are runaways, who have nothing, and they sort of dangle a carrot: "Hey, I have something. I can help you." And then all of a sudden, like you're you're just in a basement somewhere, and you know, drugged and sort of held against your will, or brainwashed so much that you feel like a lot of a lot of times. Girls and boys that are particularly coming from other places in the world are told that you know when they're when they're in when they're when they're in either like um, labor slavery or or sex trafficking, it's they're told that they have to pay off their debt. So they'll be there, and they'll say, "I want to leave." And they'll say, yeah. "You have a debt to pay. Like, do you even do you even know what's going to happen to you if you leave here? You 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 can't leave here." So it's like this insane brainwashing that happens, and so they just kind of keep doing with with the, this the abuse. They keep accepting the abuse because they're they're living in this particular circumstance that they they don't know anything else. You know.
0: Well, I find it. I think it's really impactful and um, moving storytelling. So congratulations you. on your work there. When you think back over the course of all of it leading up to this point, what's been the toughest lesson you've had to learn along the way?
1: The toughest lesson I've had to learn, um, you know, it probably goes back to the solution oriented part of myself. I, I started to meet, you know, it began as a movie and it really has turned into a mission. Um, started from art. Has become an activist, you know, artist to activist kind of thing, and it's very like telling of myself where it's like it starts with something like a seedling that's like so pure artistically, and then it sort of blossoms into something else, and you sort of have to keep, you know, following that that drive somehow. Mm-hmm. And I think the the hardest thing is that um, it's it's difficult to find like a real solution for this you know and that's why the movie ends the way it does is in the way it's not sort of like wrapped up in a you know a red ribbon which is like you know what happens to her what does she get deported Does she go back like does she you know it's like it's the sort of question mark that is looming over our country specifically now in terms of um human rights issues and people who are just so desperate and and want something else than the complete and utter horrors that they're living with and so I think that's the greatest challenge is, is that, you know, um, there, might, there might not be an answer right now, but um, there's incredible people fighting the fight. Like I've been working incredibly closely with an organization called CAST, which is the Coalition to Abolish Slavery and Trafficking, and they're absolutely incredible. Um, a, a lady named Kay Buck is the CEO, and she's absolutely extraordinary. And she um, she runs Cast, and Cast is exceptional because they work with survivors of human trafficking for uh, about a year and a half to two years. So it's not this sort of like misconception of like bust the girl out and let her loose, and like everything's great. You know, it's like sh- they 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 extend a hand to say, you know, we are going to help empower your, you, and we will you know we'll give you an opportunity to restabilize yourself psychologically, physically, and find center again. And it takes some time. Um, but they have an enormous success rate. And, and the majority of those victims of human trafficking um, start working with and forecast and mm-hmm. then start to work with sort of newer victims of human trafficking and they become survivors. So, you know, there's, there's incredible people working out there to help overcome this. It's just it's a it's a tough it's a tough issue
0: worst advice you received along the way worst advice
1: would be to, well the worst advice that i've that i've had that i didn't take was to have a plan b in my life and that um I don't know what, you know, it's funny, I don't know what would have happened if I'd had a plan B, meaning, you know, I was at a crossroads at 18, which was go to college or follow my heart and my dreams to become an actor. You'd
0: gone into Princeton, which is one of the hardest colleges, universities to get into in the country,
1: yeah, I was super academic in high school and I was also working in in uh, in filmmaking and...
0: Right, also where the odds are not so good.
1: <laughs> no, I mean, well, that and that's where the advice came from, which was a very protective quality of like, look, they're like less than 1% are gonna succeed at this. And so I guess in that sense, the advice, why it rubbed me wrong was that I thought, but I am the 1%, mm. you know? and I, And I just, I thought, if I don't think I'm the 1%, then I'm just another 99, and then when I, so it was it was like a r- real conflict in my head, which was to have this like like again like the 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 youthful sort of unbridled like crazy confidence to say no, but I am I'm going to do it, I'm going to make it, I'm going to I'm going to fulfill my dream, which is probably again why Blue Crash was so important because it sort of was this like collision of like character and myself, but um, but that I just had to believe it you know, if I didn't believe it, then no one else was going to believe it. That's for sure. So it was, it was that decision of like not having a plan B and just going for my dreams that, um, that I decided to do.
0: So you deferred at Princeton a couple of years. Yep. And then finally.
1: And finally, yeah, finally I said that I would, um, I was going to, you know, I was going to let go of the, the, uh, of deferring and, and I was going to go and give it a, a, a good shot, you know, in Los Angeles and. Um, and I remember saying, but maybe one day. <laughs> and it was so amazing because the, the school, you know, um, I, you know, I think they deal with a lot of like exceptional cases. Like the person that I rimmed with at orientation was like a nuclear physicist, you know what I mean? So it's like, I'm like just this like actor, like <laughs> doing my thing. And like, there's people doing an incredible, magnificent things. So for me, they were like, you know, it's okay. They said, but, um, you know, if you ever want to come back, there's a spot for you. And I Do was you think like, you'd ever go back. I honestly, I wouldn't put it past myself because like I'm so curious, and like I could see that strangely becoming something that I' like need to do um later in my life, like my mom went back to college, I think around fifty, maybe yeah, I think she was around fifty, and it was like the most fulfilling thing she's ever done like, to get her degree um you know, I think she I think she got like two or three years and uh and and it bothered her that she didn't see that through so she just finished it out and she i remember as as being a kid like watching her like go to class and and coming back and being so excited about you know what she learned and the paper she had to write and in a strange way, I think I'd probably be a much better student, honestly.
0: Yeah. <laughs> as, well, as I think – I mean I loved college. Yeah. But I really do sometimes think if I went now, I would appreciate it so right. much
1: more. It feels like a means to an end then. Like it's like yeah. you're kind of like I have to do this in order to get this where if, you, if you're if you lucky enough to reverse engineer it and do it for sort of pleasure or personal fulfillment, then it's, it's all the more enjoyable. <laughs> By the way, it sounds like your
0: parents are pretty remarkable.
1: Oh, they're amazing. I'm so lucky. Oh, my God. I, you know, every like every moment that goes by and I I just I'm so deeply grateful for them. I mean, they're uh, they're my rock. They really are like they're the people who taught me everything and um, had the greatest influence on me. And like I think as you know, as I've gotten older and I'm in my mid 30s and I think about my own children, I think yeah they 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 did good you know they really did and it's not it's certainly not easy you know to 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 be an, an extraordinary parent and they really were
0: Well, I have a good feeling that everything that they've instilled in you will be instilled
1: oh and, thank and you and well. you thank you congratulations thank i'm you so, so excited much. for you i really
0: appreciate it this was a great conversation thank you thank i know you i had so such much i'd love I, to, I could
1: talk all night with you i could as well <laughs> and come back when you're a director oh we'll i will you know what? i promise awesome. <laughs> thank you
0: Alright, it's the end of the interview, which means it's time for our No Limits Entrepreneur of the Week, where we feature one of you, our amazing listeners, who's building something of your own. And this week's No Limits Entrepreneur is Anna Brockway, who is the co-founder and president of Cherish. And just so you know, it is spelled like a chair, C-H-A-I-R, ish because it is a curated online marketplace for buying and selling vintage and used furniture. Anna is a mom of three and before launching her company, spent 10 years raising her family. She calls herself a compulsive redecorator and felt like there wasn't a place to easily sell furniture she no longer needed or buy new used items. So she and her co-founders created Cherish, the company almost six years ago, from her dining room. Here she is to tell you more. Hey everybody, I'm Anna Brappe. I am the co-founder and president of Cherish. If you don't know us, we are the indispensable online source for chic and unique furniture, art, and decor for your home. Come check us out. Um, My co-founders and I launched Cherish almost six years ago from my dining room, and we're now a staff of about 100 people and attracting over 2 million shoppers a month. So the site's grown quickly. For me, the biggest challenge to getting started was
1: really about taking the leap of faith and um, deciding to um, become an entrepreneur after having spent 10 years at home raising my family.
0: And don't forget, if you or someone you know should be featured here on No Limits as the Entrepreneur of the Week, send me those nominations. You can also send me career questions to Podcast at gmail.com. I know how busy you all are, so thank you so much. When you write, it means a lot. I really appreciate it. And I also want to say thank you so much to those of you who take the time to leave us reviews like this one from Kosher Yoga, who writes, Informative and fun, learning so much. You are awesome. Keep it up. Come visit us in most to in Israel, I would love that. So someday, finally, a shout out to our wonderful team here that helps make this happen every week: my producer Taylor Dunn, editor Brittany Martinez, research assistant Lane Wynn, and the ABC Radio team: David Rind, Elizabeth Russo, Josh Cohan, Andrew Kelp, and Steve Jones.
1: I um, entered the world literally with sort of my fist in front of me. He said, Oh, it's a boy. And, and then I came out and they said, Wait, no, it's a girl. And that's literally why my parents named me Catherine, because it means strong willed and determined. And they thought this person is meant to be in the world and she's going to be quite fiercely determined to be here. So,
0: from ABC, it's no limits. I'm Rebecca Jarvis, and each week we're talking to the most bold and influential women playing at the top of their game, trying to demystify success and what it really takes to get there and all the trade-offs. Whether you're looking for answers or you just want to hear a good story, you're in the right place. On today's episode, how Kate Bosworth has navigated her career as an actress, transcending genres, and constantly challenging herself to achieve new heights. From her first role at just 14 years old to finding her voice as a producer, Kate is someone who has shown that the combination of determination, talent, and authenticity can be the key driving force to finding not just success, but success on her terms. Here's Kate Bosworth. Kate Bosworth, welcome to No Limits. Thank
1: you so much. I'm so happy to be here with you.
0: I'm so excited to be here with you. We were just having this conversation um, off the podcast about determination, and you were born determined from I, day one.
1: Yes, I, I um, entered the world literally with sort of my fist in front of me. They, my, my parents decided to not know the sex of the child, and so when I was coming into the world the doctor said oh it's a boy because it was like so aggressive in a way like it was like i'm here and i'm i love that i'm excited though. to be here and and my and and they, they he said oh it's a boy and and then i came out and they said wait no it's a girl and that's literally why my parents named me Catherine because it means strong-willed and determined and they thought this person is meant to be in the world and she's going to be quite fiercely determined to be here so that is so cool. <laughs> yeah.
0: Well, I definitely want to talk about the, the new film you're produ- you've you co-produced with your husband, Nona. Uh, but I want to go back a little bit to your childhood because you got into acting so young, 14 years old, but it was sort of by accident.
1: Yes, it was. So, you know, and it's funny because in hindsight, I was such a, like an artistic kid who Love to entertain. Like I, I, remember having these like weird puppets, and I would like demand to put on these like bizarre puppet shows. I was a strange <laughs> child, actually. Like, were they regular puppet shows for your? They parents? were regular puppet shows. I would make. So I'm an only child, and my cousin who. um who is a boy, he is also an only child and we're like a year apart. And so we were kind of like brother and sister and he was a year younger than me. And I would sort of like torture him because I'd be like, you're doing the puppet show with me. And I was like the kind of like cruel older sister in many ways. And he was like, I don't want to do it. I'm like, you're doing it. You're going to be the weird cat. <laughs> and I'd be like some other like strange animal, like the horse so probably. And, uh, and, and, and in hindsight, I'm like, that's a very sort of – and I would like write my plays and I would like act it out with the <laughs> – with the puppets and um and I would make my mom and, her, and my dad and their friends watch the like the show Um and I in hindsight so so cut to you know I get into middle school I was horseback riding a lot became obsessed with horses and and I was I was showing I was jumping and there was a movie being cast out of New York City I lived in Connecticut at the time Um, That was called The Horse Whisperer and it was based on the novel and Robert Redford um, directed it and they were looking for authentic horseback riders um, that had a real affinity with horses. Like um, Robert Redford was very adamant that 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 be the case, that he didn't want like sort of these young like cookie cutter actor kids Mm -hmm. that sort of – didn't have that connection. Um, I think he has actually quite a lot of horses, or he did. So I think he really felt like connected to that. And um, and so sort when when a movie is being cast, whether it be like horseback riding or surfing or. Um, ballet or something like people who specialize in those things will sort of trickle in. Like, they'll hear the trickle in of of that particular film being cast and the skill needed. And so sort of word went around the barn that I was at that like there was a movie being cast in New York. And I love that
0: word went around the barn. It did. Like
1: everyone went and auditioned. Like it was like, oh, maybe I'm going to be the girl. I like it was like the golden ticket, like Willy Wonka thing, you know, like maybe I'll get the golden ticket. And um, and so I remember like taking the train with my mom from Connecticut to New York and walking into this open casting call never have other than like reading my own like ridiculous like plays like I'd never been like given professional a professional script before and sort of you know performed it to someone I didn't know it was very odd to me and I was really shy and I did it and I thought whoa okay that was weird that's done and I sort of left and then I got called back and got another call back and got another call back and at that point I remember thinking, I don't, what are they going to figure out that like I really don't know what I'm doing. You know, and at 14 you're already sort of feeling that way like a complete yes. fraud and like so awkward and like insecure anyway and so finally I got the role and I was super nervous because I just thought I am like way out of my element here and like I someone's going to figure it out at some point. And I I sort of got to set and just fell in love with it immediately because What's amazing about movie making, and what I love so much about it is that it's this like kind of traveling circus. Like Mm -hmm. everyone just loves what they do so much. And whether it be a grip or camera department or sound or, or, you know, acting, producing, directing, whatever it might be, it's like everyone's just so in love with it. And it's like this sort of moving amoeba that, you know, everyone's doing their best to – create a situation in which you say action and then magic is made and it's like it's incredible and I just totally fell in love with it and um that was really my introduction to acting but it wasn't something that I'd been pursuing right you know in a way um
0: what was the biggest surprise were there any shocking elements
1: to you uh I (laughs) this is such an embarrassing story I um so the first You know, it was a it was a big movie. It was Bob Richardson was the DP. Um, It's a very big deal. Rupert was the director. Scarlett Johansson was the star, and she was twelve years old. You know, she's she'd been acting by the way since she was like two. So she like arrived on set. She's like, oh yeah, I've been doing this for ten years. I was like, oh my god, like I felt so freaked
0: to out. It did.
1: Oh no, I felt so. I was I was totally freaked out because I was I was truly just like a normal kid who went to middle school, public middle school, and was just you know worried about. Sort of if my boots were cool or not, you know, I didn't like, <laughs> I didn't know what 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 I was doing, and uh, you know, I remember the first scene I was in, kind of took place where Scarlett was coming up on the side of one hill, and I was coming up on the side of another hill, and there's sort of this big expanse between the two of us, and um, Robert Redford wanted uh, like a lot of snow everywhere, like the whole thing had to be covered in snow, and so they're like they're creating like fake foam snow every it was like a whole thing. It was like a 25 minute reset if like, you know, if something went wrong for this big sort of tableau opening. And the first thing that I was supposed to scream, it was my first line. I was supposed to throw my hands in the air and yell, "Hello!" And Scarlett threw her hands in the air and said, "Hello!" And it was like this sort of sweet sort of like, you know, greeting between the two girls from far away. I truly didn't think that you would that anyone would say action like I thought that's not real like no one says action so I thought there's got to be something else that they say and like again, I'm trying to like fake it till I make it like I'm like just <laughs> just pretend like you know what you're doing and I sort of they they say okay so every everything's set and I'm like nervous because it's you know there's a whole lot of organization that goes along and everyone sort of steps away from the set and you're sort of left there alone to to your own you know sort of voices in your head and they the first thing that they say is um, rolling, you know, so it means like sounds rolling, and then and then what they say is sound speed, you know, and then and then they say so rolling camera, sound speed, sound, and then action is really what happens on a film set, and so first thing they first thing they say is rolling, and it sort of sounds like that, and I thought oh, that must be my cue, that must be it, and so I throw my hands here and there, I go hello, and they're like wait what no no, no. wait Well, no, no wait what's going on no, wait. cut 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 cut, and I'm like. Standing there with my hands in the air, like, looking around, like, oh, my God, I've just done something terribly wrong. And they, like, have to run up to me. And they're like, no, Kate, you have to wait for action. (laughs) And I'm like, they really say action? Like, yeah, they really say action. And I said, okay. And they sort of had to, like, do a reset, which was, like, super embarrassing. And, um, And I waited for action. But that was, you know, it's a... It's it sounds, you know, like a simple thing that you should know, but I just I just was so out of my element. I you mean, were totally I was totally
0: new to the whole thing. I was totally
1: new and I just had no idea like how how sets worked.
0: You were also at the time and and continued to be a student and a really hardcore student. That yeah. and I was when I was reading your bio, one of the things I thought was interesting is in your I don't know if you know this, but in your official bio it says that you continued your education <laughs> while you were pursuing acting, which said yeah. to me, right? Okay, it actually is a really important part of yeah. Kate's life. Yeah.
1: Oh, for sure. I mean, I um, you know, my my parents were incredible because they they really um. They they instilled a, a pretty fierce drive in me for um, just a healthy ambition and a, again a, a real like discipline. You know, I mean they they weren't you know hardcore disciplinarians, but they certainly expected a certain level. And like my my I remember my father um, would always say, you know, like every morning he'd say, "Kate, do you look in the mirror and say you're going to do your best today." And I'd say, yep. He goes, because, you know, it doesn't matter. You can get an A, a B, a C, or a D. But if you did your best, then that's that's what mm. matters. And it was it was, it was was c- smart because it really held myself accountable rather than coming from a place. I mean, I I knew that they were expecting something of me as well. But it really kind of put it in perspective of you have to look yourself in the mirror at the end of the day, no matter what it is that you're doing, and say, you know what? I, I left it all on the field today. Yeah. You know what I mean? And, like, even still today – if I feel like, mm, you know what, I should have done that. Or if there's a scene – I'm getting a bit better at it now being in my mid-30s. But for a long time, I would think, oh, I wish I had done that line differently. And it would mm. haunt me. Like it would really mm-hmm. like hang around for a while. Um, but the 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 academia definitely came from my parents. But I was always kind of a nerdy kid to be honest. Like I, I was an avid reader. I mean I still am. I read so much. and um, And that was like my fun hobby. You know, it was like – do you want to go do this? Do you want to go to this party or do you want to like stay home and read a book? And like, I got an option for the latter. You know, it's just, I liked getting lost in things. I really, I loved, like, um, I love being very imaginative and I would um, sort of create like imaginary world for myself. And I think partly that's a very like only child thing right. to do. Um, but it was definitely like in that world of fantasy and like um, sort of that I felt in hindsight, was very much a sort of performer's thing as well.
0: You seem to also be the kind of person that likes a challenge and the curiosity aspect of it, the learning aspect of it. You learned to surf for Blue Crush. What was that like?
1: Yeah i i don't I don't respond well to you can't. <laughs>
0: Did anyone ever tell you you couldn't do something, Kate?
1: Yeah, for Blue Crush. I mean, that, that really. Yeah, that's that's a really um, sort of um good example i think of you know how i how how i might approach something that is a is a challenge um so you know i i had been in la for about 6 months and the roles that i had been reading were you know uh quite shallow and mm-hmm. sort of like oh the popular mean like blonde girl and it and i was like gosh i wasn't very popular and i wasn't very mean i was blonde but i couldn't really um i couldn't really relate to the sort of like no dimensional quality to the characters and so Um, I, I just wasn't, I wasn't connecting with them. And I was, I was thinking, you know, this might, this might just not really be what I'm looking for. Um, and then Blue Crush came to me and I just, I connected with it so deeply because, you know, though I'd never touched a surfboard before, admittedly, um, I, I knew what it felt like to like want something so badly and to have a sense of fearlessness and to also feel a little bit out there and adrift and, and, and not quite sure what I'm doing where, where my feet were at and um, and and I I and, and what it felt like to, to want to achieve a dream like so much you know like so deeply within and I uh, I just I thought I have to do this I have to get this role so I went and I read and I came back and I read and finally they said you know we, we love your reading like you clearly have a connection to this character but you know it's it's a real prere- prerequisite to have surfing experience and which is totally understandable <laughs> given the nature of the movie and i said well i i remember this so well i said well i i you know, I, I'm a great horseback rider. I mean, I like jump. I know what it means to be involved in an individual sport and to be competitive with, within oneself and to be fearless. And I've fallen off, you know, over a 100 times into jumps on rocks and, you know, whatever. They're like, oh, that's great. But this is a movie about surfing. It's <laughs> like, yeah. oh, I really tried there. <laughs> um, but anyway, so well, what do you what's your plan? And they said, we're going to we're going to try and find a real surfer who can act. And I said, well, "How long are you going to take?" They said, "You know, probably about three weeks." And so I said, "Okay." And I literally went into the yellow pages and I found a surf instructor in Malibu and I called him up and I said, "Listen, I have to learn to surf in three weeks. Like, what is that going to take?" And he's like, "Well, come on down, man. Like, yeah." <laughs> and so I said, "Okay." So I drove down. <laughs> I, d- I drove down to uh, Malibu and I said, "No, I'm serious." I said, "I really," and I told him the situation. I said, "I really, really need to learn how to do this." I need to change my body. I need to. I need to. I need to be um, adequate at this, at the very least. And he said, "Okay, well, it's going to take like every single day, you know, six, seven hours a day. Like it's a mentality thing as well, and it's, it's it's mental and physical, and you really need to get into both." And so I said, "Okay," and I did it. And then after three weeks, I asked if I could surf for the powers that be, and they they brought in like sort of a neutral surfing instructor, and I went out. Um, so did you know,
0: literally like the the casting director show up at the beach to watch it was surf?
1: it was the it was the producer of the film and it was the director of the film and I think the casting was there wow and um and I remember just paddling out and I was like you got this and <laughs> I just you know I just ate it. I mean, I was like falling no. off. I just couldn't like make it. I just thought, I thought you were going to tell me that it was like the most perfect. It was the surf end of the of movie, of like yeah. fist in the yeah. air. You know, I would just, oh man, I just ate it. And I was so, I just, I couldn't, I just, you know, it was just tough. It was, you know, it's a very, very difficult sport. It's like the steepest learning curve along with ballet, they say. So I just, I, but I was out there and out there and out there, falling and falling and falling. And finally, you know, the servant searcher said, you know, let's, let's, that, let's go in for the day. And I said, okay. And I was sort of, just deflated and and I said thank you for the opportunity and I left and I was later told you know I I ended up getting the role and I was later told that everyone sort of looked at the surf instructor that was not mine that was hired by them and they said well what do you think like can she do it and he looked at them and he said what I can absolutely guarantee you is that you're not going to meet someone more determined wow and that was literally what got me the role and I often say that like aspiring artists, actors, directors, producers, whatever it might be, is that, you know, people like to talk about like luck or talent or, you know, all those all those things which, you know, might might have a factor in things. But I always say like perseverance, it's gonna edge you out. Like that's the thing. If you can hang on and you can like be the one who's just saying, Nope, I'm gonna I'm gonna last. I'm the one who's gonna last. I'm gonna hang in. I want this more than anyone else. Like I'll prove it to you. Like that that'll be the edge for sure. It seems like you
0: have really figured out how to navigate the the world of Hollywood the world of acting in a way that a lot of women who start out young like you did they fall into the sort of sweetheart role trap you were talking about that a minute ago how did you think that through and and was there somebody guiding you or was it just your gut and you're a willingness to say no to things even though probably a lot of really smart people said no 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 you have to say yes to this like if you don't say yes yeah. you're going to make a huge mistake in your career.
1: Yeah, I mean there was a lot of that. I, I oh, man, I've I've always, I truly have been so headstrong like for better and worse, so it's definitely not like Has it cost you roles? Yeah, for sure. Like, there's been a few instances that I look back and think eh, that was probably one that you should have entertained a bit more. But, but on the on the other end, it's it's hard to think about regret or things because it's I really am yeah. a firm believer of like no, but this was your this was your road. And, yes, totally. And that's what you were meant to do. Um, I, you know, after Blue Crush, I remember thinking I, I have to break this sort of this. I, I can I could feel like, instinctually this sort of stereotype of like blonde surf girl I really had hoped that it would end up like edgy and cool like the way I wanted it to because we, we really filmed it that way and I got so immersed in the culture and like all the real surf girls are like badass like they are not cutesy or like TNA like they're like ballsy you know and I was like oh I hope they I hope they really depict it that way and they they did thankfully but I thought I really want to do something where I can just like sink my teeth into something like dark and gritty and shocking and like really, really like the complete opposite to this. And I read a movie called Wonderland that was um, starring Val Kilmer and um, was about uh, the Wonderland murders. And he played John Holmes and I played um, a character named Dawn. And she was this sort of runaway, like kind of drug addicted, but sweet um innocent person sort of like sucked into this dark world and i just thought like that's kind of the type of thing i want to do next and yes it's always been a very guttural instinct for me um it's particularly younger i think there's something when you're young that you just think like you know everything and you obviously don't i have a 21 year old stepdaughter now and i look at her and i just think man that she's a baby like when i was 18 19 20 i was like i know it all you know and i just think oh my god i was so little Yes, um, but there's something kind of amazing about that purity too. You're just like, you just feel things so deeply, and you know it's there's something quite magical about that as well. You know, Mm -hmm.
0: yeah. I often think now in my life, I I have the same same feeling looking backwards, Mm -hmm. but there's also a respect for it because. You just know certain things, and you feel more. In, at least in my experience, you almost feel more confident in your your instincts. And I think part of it is you have less to lose because you haven't built as much of a, of a track record at that point. Um, and and now I'm almost at this point. I'm I'm like in my mid to late thirties, but I'm at this point where I'm kind of trying to get back. Like, how do I take pieces of that and apply them now? Because there was a span of my life where I started sort of just doing the right thing in quotation marks. And now I'm like, okay, now I'm going to – there's this quote from Picasso, destroy to create. And I think about that. Like now I'm at this point where I've learned. I can do the things. I know how to do the basic – everything that's expected. So now like let's have fun. Let's like make this canvas crazy.
1: It's so true. It's almost like um, – I feel the same exact way. Like you have this like kind of like unbridled sort of fearlessness that like is incredible when you don't know enough. (laughs) <laughs> to sort of limit yourself, yeah. But then I like I found the twenties to be like the the most like oh <laughs> just the roughest sort of like especially the early ones like the first like f- mm, the first like three to four years I found to just be like real tough um, because I think I sort of felt like you know I I I'm I feel like such a you know I was just raised such a normal person that like when this sort of um. The attention came on. To th- I didn't – that was the thing I didn't really anticipate was like, oh, you know, you love this and you love the art of this and you love the circus and you love creating with, and you love the magic. But, hey, there's also this whole other side of like, you know, crazy notoriety and mm-hmm. fame that's like – I. it's really difficult to know what to do with that at such a young age. I just felt like I didn't know how to um, – I didn't know how to process that because it felt like people were – projecting a version of myself onto me and I thought well I know myself really well and like I would read an interview and I thought that's not me like that's such a weird version of what someone would take from me for like you know an hour of my life like and it it just bugged me you know because um, it just didn't feel real that mm-hmm. like I, I have a hard time when something veers away from like really feeling true and like real to me and when things start feeling like um, too like artificial or or um, just fleeting, like something that just doesn't feel like tactile to me. Mm -hmm. I I don't respond very well to it. So I had to find a way to um, like maintain my love for what I do and then also have enough experience in my life and also just as a woman, like as a human being on the planet to go, okay, that's what that is. And you can put that – you can compartmentalize that in this place – Understand what it is, and it doesn't have to like eclipse everything that you're doing in such an overwhelming, sort of fearful way. You know what yeah. I mean? But it, it just took some time, for sure.
0: How much of that drove your decision to get into producing and to be more in the driver's seat, perhaps, of this creation? You'll hear more from Kate Bosworth after a quick word from our sponsor. Hey, I'm Andy Mitchell, a New York Times bestselling author. And I'm Sabrina Kohlberg, a morning television
1: producer.